0: Al Jazeera Podcast.
1: The Cook Islands, a small nation of 17,000 people in the South Pacific Ocean, has granted exploration licenses to three companies hoping to mine minerals from the deep sea. Here's its Prime Minister, Mark Brown.
0: We're a country that's been blessed with this wealth that sits in our ocean. It's no good sitting on the surface and being afraid of the unknown and not willing to go down and find out.
1: Proponents of deep-sea mining say these minerals will go into building electric car batteries to help us break away from fossil fuels.
2: The Biden administration is proposing strict new pollution rules that could dramatically ramp up the transition to electric vehicles.
3: The European Parliament approved a law to
1: effectively ban the sale of new petrol and diesel cars from 2035. But others think mining the ocean for minerals is a major contradiction.
2: It doesn't make sense to me to solve an environmental issue by creating a new environmental issue.
1: So, should we mine the Pacific Ocean to meet the growing demands for electric cars? I'm Kevin Hurton, and this is The Take. Over 700 marine scientists worldwide have called for a halt to deep-sea mining, saying we still don't know enough about the impact it could have on our underwater ecosystems. Today, we're talking to Lucy Murray, a journalist from SBS Australia, who recently filmed a documentary for Al Jazeera's 101 East on the topic.
2: The Cook Islands are located about halfway between the United States and New Zealand, It's made up of 15 quite small islands, the biggest one, Rarotonga. You can drive around it in just an hour. The thing that I noticed most when flying into the Cook Islands, and we flew between a couple of islands in the Cooks, you notice as you're flying over, there's this beautiful light blue water, and then it goes straight to the dark, deep Pacific Ocean. These islands really pop out, and then for hundreds of kilometers around them, there is is nothing more than ocean as well. It's this scenery that tourists flock to from all around the
1: world. The Cook Islands are highly dependent on tourism.
2: Tourism before COVID was the the major part of the economy. So there are people who work at resorts and working as tour guides, snorkel guides, operators, but also the restaurants, the cafes, all of those supplied or, or boosted by tourism, huge cruise ships come through the area, as well as a lot of mainly Australian and New Zealand tourists as well.
1: But those tourists stopped coming during the pandemic. And that caught the attention of the Cook Islands Prime Minister, Mark Brown.
0: We closed the borders for two years. That was very, very difficult on um, our industry and on on the, the private sector in particular. COVID was definitely a wake up call for us that we must diversify our economy.
2: So the prime minister who we did speak with in the Cook Islands said this really was a shock and really drove home the need to have something else other than tourism. There is a little bit of agriculture in the Cook Islands, but it's small scale. And deep sea mining is something the the nation had been looking at for, for quite a while and it's sort of renewed this push to, to start deep-sea mining sooner rather than later.
1: It's an industry the Prime Minister hopes will bring more jobs to the Cook Islands and more Cook Islanders back home.
2: 80% of Cook Islanders actually live in Australia or, or New Zealand. That's four out of five people going to actually live in the Cook Islands because of the limited job opportunities. They move overseas for higher-paid jobs. And when you venture around these islands, particularly off Rarotonga to some of the more rural islands, you see many houses that have been abandoned.
1: That's why the Prime Minister has become one of the biggest drivers of deep sea mining in the Cook Islands.
0: Many of our people, our children, our grandchildren, they've moved overseas to work in industries that pay them more money, such as in the horticultural industry in New Zealand, picking apples. Well, we refer to our minerals. These are our golden apples. And... If developed properly, we have an opportunity for our people then to collect our own apples, which are sitting at the bottom of the ocean.
2: So he believes that deep sea mining would bring these higher paying jobs that would bring people back to the Cook Islands, but also keep the population that they have there at the moment. So the Cook Islands is looking to mine its own domestic waters and it has complete control in this territory, but there's also the push to mine international waters. And this push
1: includes other neighboring islands in the Pacific. Nauru, a small island of around 12,000, along with Tonga and Kiribati, are all looking to mine international waters. But to do so, they first need permission from the UN-affiliated Seabed Authority, the ISA.
2: Deep-sea mining is not underway anywhere in the world. And the member nations, those 167 member nations of the ISA, have been discussing deep sea mining for over a decade, how it would take place. And they've been developing what's called a mining code, which is a list of rules to guide mining activities. So there are a number of countries who are saying, not enough is not about the deep sea for mining to start.
1: The agreement on deep sea mining is expected to take place in early 2025, after the ISA announced more time is needed to finalize mining rules. France, Costa Rica, and Chile led this effort to postpone the start of industrial-scale deep-sea mining. The three nations urged the ISA Governing Council to agree that no permit authorizing any mining in international waters would be granted until regulations had been finalized. To learn about the process, Lucy spent three days on board the Moana Minerals vessel one of the deep sea mining companies granted an exploration license from the cook islands
2: well lucy here's your cabin awesome this way to the galley
1: on the ship she spoke to hans smith the president and chief executive officer of ocean minerals the parent company of moana minerals hans is looking to cash in on what he believes will be the future mining boom
2: so he's a miner who's exploring the Cook Islands domestic territory as well. So he has an exploration license for about 20,000 square kilometers, which is roughly 1% of the Cook Islands domestic territory. We look at spending probably when we're done probably $100, 200000000 million, our funds doing all of this initial work at risk. But should we prove that we can do it, and we can do it responsibly, we will make that money back and more
1: so how does one actually mine the deep sea? Hans uses the analogy of a vacuum cleaner to explain the process.
2: A vacuum cleaner where you have the nozzle at the end of a pipe running across the floor, lifting the dirt off the floor and traveling up that pipe to the vacuum cleaner and being collected in the bag. Yeah, so it's a risk by these companies to spend all of this money on research in in determining where these minerals are, what quantities they are, and also trying to prove that they can extract them in an environmentally friendly way. Hans believes in his 20,000 square kilometre patch, there's between five to $10 billion worth of raw materials. So if he was allowed to mine this area, he says he would make that money back. We estimate that there are roughly 500 million tonnes of these nodules laying on the sea floor. And within these nodules, we have predominantly uh, manganese, cobalt, nickel, copper and then the rare earths. These are metals all used in making batteries, which are increasingly in demand for things like electric vehicles, which the world will need a lot more of as many nations have committed to net zero carbon emissions by 2050.
1: So, what are critics saying about the negative impacts of deep-sea mining on our underwater ecosystems? That's after the break.
2: Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day, with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to Play the News by Al Jazeera, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Today, we're talking about deep-sea mining in the Pacific Ocean with Lucy Murray, a journalist from the Special Broadcasting Service, SBS Australia, who traveled to the Cook Islands to learn more. During her visit, Lucy met with people who also opposed the government's plan. One of them is Jacqueline Evans, an award-winning environmentalist.
2: She helped set up what's called the Marae Moana which was at the time the world's largest marine park covering two million square kilometres around the Cook Islands domestic waters and that really showcased how important the ocean was to Cook Islanders. Our marine park is enormous, it goes way beyond the horizon. Uh, It's about five times the size of the state of California And we have whales, we have turtles, we have seabirds, we have tuna, we have all kinds of marine animals here. There was a lot of public support for this marine park across their domestic waters, which is actually the same water the government is now looking to mine. We feel like the government's rushing into it. There's been a lot of government propaganda for deep sea mining in the Cook Islands. So Jacqueline told us just a couple of days after she raised the idea of the Cook Islands supporting a moratorium, supporting a pause on deep-sea mining until more research can be done. She was told she was no longer required, that her contract as the manager of this marine park, the marine park that she won the Goldman Prize for, she was no longer needed and that contract would be given to someone else.
0: Lucy put the claims made by Jacqueline to Prime Minister Mark Brown. I believe uh, that position was advertised by the department head uh, and a new person more suitable uh, for the next phase of the Marine Park project was appointed.
2: The government is the largest employer in the Cook Islands. It employs roughly one in five people. So everyone there knows someone who works for the government if their family doesn't already work for the government themselves. So Jacqueline argues many people are afraid of speaking out because this could come with consequences for them or their families.
1: But as Lucy made her way around the island, speaking to people about deep-sea mining, she found support for the proposal on the island is mixed.
2: When people would ask what we're filming, what we're doing, we'd tell them what we're we're talking about, deep-sea mining. Everyone had heard of it, but their opinions on it were mixed, or a lot of people basically said they didn't have enough information.
0: To be honest, I don't know much about deep-sea mining.
2: Governments sometimes, I don't believe them. Their words, sometimes they can break their words. I don't have enough information regarding the impact, the negative impact
1: from the ocean when it's harvested.
2: Culturally, the Cook Islands has a top-down approach. There's a chief who sits at the top of the community and what is decided by the chief and his advisors goes and this filters down through the community. So there's not Cook Islander tradition to to protest or to have large-scale street protests against government decisions. A lot of the time when we are talking to people, they're willing to go with either what their, their community chief or, or king decides or what the government decides and then the people fall in line behind that decision is more of the traditional way of going about this. So there's not huge amounts of, of protests or people speaking out against the government.
1: There's also not a huge amount known about the deep sea. It's one of the least explored places on Earth. Lucy spoke to scientist Dr. Malcolm Clark in New Zealand to learn how deep sea mining could impact the underwater ecosystem.
2: Dr Malcolm Clarke is well respected by both sides of this debate. Uh, He's pragmatic and he has a very no-nonsense approach when he comes to talking about the impacts of deep sea mining.
3: The ability of the deep sea to recover appears to be very, very low. Studies 30 years after some initial disturbance show that components of the animal communities have not recovered. The issue that scientists have to grapple with is trying to quantify how many of those animals are likely to die.
2: So mining occurs by a collector machine which is basically similar to a bulldozer dredging the seafloor. Now at the bottom of that there is this noisy collector machine running along the seafloor and that could generate underwater dust storms. Now those underwater dust storms that dust will settle back down onto the seabed and that could smother or choke animals such as worms. Now worms are really important to the deep sea ecosystem because They eat dead carcasses, dead animals that have floated down to the bottom. And without worms, then that deep sea would become polluted. And then once they're full of those dead animals, these worms then become a food source for other animals in that deep sea ecosystem.
1: And this mining process doesn't only affect the deep sea ecosystem, but other marine life as well. Here's Dr. Malcolm Clark again.
3: Whales are well recognised as being quite sensitive to certain frequencies of noise. So we're talking about that noise generated by the nodule collector, the riser pipe or the discharge pipe extending over thousands of kilometres distance in areas where they're spawning and migration routes in the Pacific Islands, for example, down to the Antarctic waters for for feeding. So it's going to be very important that we're not going to be generating noise.
2: And then the third aspect is so once the rocks get to the ship they are run through basically what's like a large sieve or a colander and the rocks stay on the ship and the excess water and dirt that's sucked up that's returned to the ocean and that's the second opportunity for an underwater dust storm to be generated much higher in the water column that could drift and this poses a threat to animals like jellyfish which would breathe in that dirty water and it could choke them
1: When Lucy asked Dr. Clark whether he thinks we can mine the sea sustainably to protect the ocean while also harvesting the minerals, he used the analogy of a rainforest.
3: If we're wanting to cut down some forests to allow farming or horticulture, there's an impact. The key question for scientists is how much can we remove? How much impact can we have on that original forest before we start to affect the structure or the function? How much we can take is a very simple question but a very difficult answer.
1: As for Lucy, she understands how much is at stake for the ocean and the islanders. She grew up in Australia, where a majority of the population lives on the coastline.
2: The ocean has always been an important part of, of my life, growing up by the water, spending time in the ocean, uh, swimming, surfing, and you always see that even more in these Pacific communities. You can't go anywhere in Rarotonga without the ocean being in view. In the two weeks I spent in the Cook Islands, you really get a feel for just how important the ocean is to life there. It's important to culture. In Cook Islands' belief, the the Moana is, or the ocean, is where, where the gods came from and is where people return to. So I guess my aim for this documentary was to put all the information in a really one place so people could see and assess both sides of the story and, and then form their own opinions on this issue that there will be a, a sort of global changing decision very soon
1: and that's the take this episode was produced by Khalid Sultan with Miranda Lynn, Chloe K Lee, Ngeen Oliei, Amy Walters, Ashish Malhotra Sonia Bagat, and me, Kevin Hurton, in from Alika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan, Munira al and Adam Abuged are our engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is the takes executive producer, and May Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio.